This episode is brought to you by Third Eye Cacao. Third Eye Cacao is on a mission to preserve ceremonial grade cacao in the world and invite others on a journey from their head to their heart. Cacao is the fruit where chocolate comes from and is one of the most nutrient-dense superfoods on the planet. Third Eye Cacao is known for its special elixir powders that they make with herbs and adaptogens. Each blend has a unique activation for the brain, heart, and body. Cacao can be a great addition to your coffee or a replacement and has the powerful ability to begin any day with intention and ceremony. Now, I'm a huge fan of cacao. Ever since I first tried it, I noticed its heart opening effects and Third Eye Cacao makes it super easy to enjoy its benefits. Just take a couple of the chips out of the bag, throw them directly into your mouth, which I like to do, or make a drink with it if you have a little more time. By the way, Third Eye Cacao is the best tasting cacao I've ever tried. So go to thirdeyecacao.com and that's third eye with a three, three R-D, iCacao.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 11%. Once again, that's third eye cacao with a three, dot com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different? is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I am here with Giovanni Bartolomeo. Perfect. And where Perfect. is that name from? I've, that's a beautiful name. Um, yeah, my, my dad's Italian. Uh, my mother's German, born in Canada. So I have this, like, a lot of Italian in my name. Middle name's Herman. Um, <laughs> a lot of people call me Gio, for short, just to simplify the whole thing, which is fine, too. So, yeah, that's the totally. quick history. Italian. Very cool. Now I know where you get your good taste from. <laughs> but yeah, dude, you do a lot of cool stuff. You know, you're running a, uh, a wellness facility. You're a filmmaker. You're a podcaster. Um, we actually have a lot in common. So I'm really glad to get to spend this time with you today and just delve into your mind and learn about how this whole journey unfolded for you. So um, to, to kick it off, you know what I mean? Like the, the thing that I think binds all of the work you do is appreciation for heightened states of consciousness. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. Um, and, and I think ultimately the heightened states of consciousness for me have led back to this profound feeling of like oneness, love and joy, which I think is at the foundation of all reality. And sometimes, you know, the heightened consciousness allows you to see that even through, chaos and all the crazy things that you know we we deal with on a day-to-day basis well most of us do right um and also just wanted to say before really diving in is just like thank you for having me <clears throat> you know we've had a great connection i think since the first time we met you know we've always supported each other you know had real no clear plan hey we're gonna do this or that it's always like hey how can i help you how can mm-hmm. you support me and um i love everything that you're doing so just thank you for everything that you do um it's just amazing to see just the evolution, even since we met probably like seven or eight years ago now. So Totally. Thank you, thank you brother. Thank mm-hmm. you. You've, you've been an awesome guiding light in my journey and definitely someone that I look up to. And you've been a big source of inspiration um, on many levels. So uh, I want to get into all the stuff that you're doing um, as well to, so that people can know why I'm so fascinated with your work and, and just your journey. Um, but yes, absolutely. I agree. We have done a bunch together. Um, and just to speak on one of the, the more in-depth things we did is uh, Time Wheel helped to roll out your film, Psyched Out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let's actually, let's dive into Psyched Out a little bit. But, but, but before we do, I think we need to prime them with how did you get into psychedelics? How did you find the spiritual path, you know? Yeah, so... You know, it's a great question. Like, t- to be completely honest, you know, like, there was always a little bit of a pull to it, even before I knew what they were. Like, I remember in high school, you know, going to a party and, like, you know, smoking some weed, which I don't really consider psychedelic, but then, like, finding mushrooms and finding something very, cu- like, a, like, a deep curiosity around, like, hey, what are these really doing? It's cool, like... You know, but not really knowing how to use them or what they were actually used for. They just show up here, try this. This is cool, you know. Um, And then, you know, as I went through the motions of, you know, being a good boy and how to become successful and how to live a full life and, you know, everything I was told, you know, I started, you know, accomplishing the checklist of life, you know, making some money, getting married, buying a house. Mm. And then there was just like this feeling of like, this is doesn't feel good. Like there's something missing. There's, there's mm. an emptiness to this process, you know? Yeah. And it was the first time I really started questioning like what the purpose of life was uh, in, in a real way. Like I remember as a kid looking up the stars and like, what are we doing here? Like what the heck is out there? You know, sure. I always had those kind of existential questions, but didn't really know how to do anything about it mm. other than ask the questions. 
And at this point in my life, you know, it really sort of sparked off. You know, there's a moment when uh, I remember waking up one day. I don't know if I was taking a nap, but I was kind of like daydreaming. I looked at my hands, like I had like just looking down, and they just looked like they got old, like a, like my grandfather's hands, just old, sure. wrinkly, veiny. And I, I blinked my eyes and looked at them again, and you know they're obviously back to normal. And like the mm-hmm. thought in my head was like, you're gonna wake up the rest of your life doing this exact same thing. Your life's gonna go by like that. And you know, what did you actually do with your life? You know, yeah, you went yeah. on vacation a couple of times a year. You made some money. Like, who cares? Like, right. what is? Why is that important to you? Yeah. And so I started questioning. Like that was what sort of spawned this, and you know. Um, just led me on this path of like self-discovery is like really just asking a question, started reading different um, philosophies, like trying to see, okay, like what were they talking about back then? You know, is there any, any of that resonate with me? And um, a lot of the scriptures, you know, there's a lot of stuff hidden in there, you know, at surface value, you read it one way and you read it again, you read it maybe a third time after doing psychedelics and you sort of see different things peeking through the pages. Um, yes. But my first run through you know, I was curious about meditation. I was curious about breath work. I was curious about um, understanding, you know, the spiritual path, which I didn't really have a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm white, obviously. I was born in North America. I don't have any ancestral roots, no real traditions other than the Catholic Church. And I feel mm-hmm. like I've sort of been cut off from like an actual like connection to nature, a connection to some really like um, – cultural roots i guess other than like you know like pasta and like food stuff like that but from a spiritual <laughs> sense yeah. you know like i don't know if i i wouldn't say i resonate with like anything the catholic church was teaching me like there were some totally. cool cool lessons you know like jesus said a lot of amazing things that resonate about love and about forgiveness but there was something missing for sure mm-hmm. um and you know i talk about this in documentary but you know good thing nowadays we have things like google or back then I think it was a little more open Google where I would just put a search and um, would find different things or YouTube and find different things. And I remember coming across Alan Watts and this is when I was just starting to like understand what intuition was where you'd hear something and like, you'd feel like a spark or curiosity. And it was like, okay, let me follow that. And um, you know, I guess you may feel like it's intuition too, but you know, YouTube knows you probably more than you know yourself and starts suggesting videos. Yeah. And from an Alan Watts video in the comments, like it just remember it was like, hey, if you think this is interesting, Terrence McKenna will blow your mind. First time I heard yeah. the name, Terrence McKenna. So like I clicked on it and literally dove into like a five hour binge YouTube binge where I was up to like wee hours in the morning, just like listening to this uh, incredible poet who spoke in a way I hadn't ever heard before um, mm-hmm. talk about these things that I never considered um, a tool for conscious exploration. Right. And it was that moment, that night where it's really like, okay, you know, there's something here, right? right. And like pre, pre, I guess, um, spiritual sort of searching. So that was your question, how to get in the spiritual path. Yep. It came from me like actually thinking like I was like sick, I wasn't well, and going into the conspiracy route of like health and wellness and all that kind of stuff. And that really just sent me for a loop, of, like mm-hmm. just diving down every rabbit hole. And and I know now that like, hey, like probably ninety percent of that wasn't true. 90% mm-hmm. could have been true. So the, the truth may lie somewhere in the middle, but there's no really way to know, except it was just making me feel even more lost than I already was and mm-hmm. sort of pushed me to ask the existential questions. So that happened about the same time I started 
having those shifts. When you say unwell, do you mean mentally or physically? Like physically, what? yeah. Like I thought I was sick. I thought I was dying. I thought like, and you know, they just get into that loop of thinking you're dying and believing, you know, hypochondriac. You know, like, oh my god, am I feeling like sick? I'm a fever. Then you can't sleep. When you lose sleep, then your mind gets more paranoid, and it just right. got into this crazy loop where I saw how like the media even, or like going on the internet, because I was doing there, I had a symptom, I go on the internet, then it would tell me all these other systems. So I'm looking for them. Oh, do yeah. I feel this? Do I feel sore? Do I feel tired? And so the mind just starts making you think you're sick when you believe you're sick. You know, the power of the mind mm-hmm. is super powerful, like, like yes. the placebo effect and all these things. So that led me down that route, which was a blessing because it brought me to this sort of really dark place and it forced me to sort of make a decision. It's like, okay, you can shift or you can stay, you know, you can stay and keep going in the darkness or you can shift and sort of like break free. But I had to go deep enough to really question everything because on the surface, everything was going good. And in my mind, everything was like, you know, a mess. Yeah. So reading the spiritual text, finding uh, Terrence McKenna, and then this thing called ayahuasca. And, you know, Mm -hmm. where I live in 2012, 2013, no one's doing ayahuasca. No one's heard of ayahuasca. I know it's been around for a lot longer. A lot of people have been doing it for a lot longer time, even in the Western society. But in my circles, no one was talking about it or doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember how rare it was back then for sure. (laughs) Yeah. and, And so like, I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is amazing. And, and, uh, sounds super interesting. I want to experience that. And, um, I immediately started like doing more of these searches online and right. Reading all of his books. And at the time, you know, me and my wife would watch Netflix and mm-hmm. I don't know how, I kind of know how now, but like, you know, you scroll every day on Netflix, you pretty much know what there is. Back yeah. then, there's probably less selection, oh, yeah. too. Back then, yeah, yeah. That was only like 100, maybe 200 titles. So you've seen most of them already, totally, or you totally. know what's there. And then, like, this day, it's like DMT, the spirit molecule, just pops up. Yep. I'm like, oh, I know what DMT is now because, like, uh, you know, I heard about it there. And I don't remember seeing this ever before scrolling through. But now, like, my reticular activating system is, like, on a hunt for, like, yep. psychedelic-related material. Absolutely. Very and similar want, story, actually. <laughs> Go ahead. And, and there's a lot of connection between like you being involved in that project and us connecting afterwards. Totally. And so, like initially, watching that, you know, again, like feeling something inside as I'm watching it and feeling the connection to the look in people's eyes as they're explaining their psychedelic experience, and that was what really got me. Yeah, when they're telling w- the story, wide-eyed, you know, they're just looking like into the camera, into your eyes, into your soul, and just like explaining this experience where I, f- I resonated so deeply. It's like I need to not only understand what they're saying, I want to experience what they're talking about. One thousand percent. I reached out to Rick Strassman at the time and said hey listen i want to volunteer sign me up when's the next one and he's like there's nothing happening anytime soon or that i know of in the world right but here's a few places you can go and do ayahuasca that is the same sort of thing dmt um and so you know i had to convince my wife hey i'm going down to brazil mm-hmm. um you know we were married had a kid on the way and i'm like i'm going mm-hmm. down there i'm gonna drink some tea that's like psychedelic <laughs> she's like what you're gonna go to the amazon in Brazil, mm-hmm. which is super dangerous from her perspective, like, you know, right. never been. And, and you're going to just like, you know, do these things. I'm like, yeah, right. you know, so that was the process to sort of negotiate my way into that experience. But I sure, did. Sure. And, and, um, from the first cup of ayahuasca, my, my life was never the same. You know, I, I, I died in my first cup. And wow. Sometimes people don't get a big experience on the first cup. Oh man. It was just like, so 
so profound and deep and like that experience the first time is like you don't know what to expect no matter what you read no matter how many videos you watch no matter how much people tell you the only way to really understand it is to experience it Um, totally and it'll be different almost every single time as well but that Mm -hmm. first really dmt sort of um going into the dmt world for the first time Mm -hmm. it's like how did this exist my whole entire life? And I've never, you know, like it was so strange and different and unique. And, and eventually I just died and I became all of the maggots that ate me as I was buried underground. And it came through also as all the flowers that, um, and, and, wow. and grass and roots. Like, so I was split into like a million pieces, but Jeez. experienced it all, all at once. And like this really like fast mash, like time-lapse sort of thing. Wow. And as you just let go into it, which is also hard in the beginning of just trying to let go into the experience, as you may know from like the deeper psychedelic experience, there's always this sense of holding on and fear that, right. this is, you know, I'm actually dying. Totally. Um, but just came back with like this profound knowing that like, hey, the end is not with death. You know, there's this continuation of existence far beyond, you know, what, what I think reality 1,000%. is. 1,000%. It's crazy how that experience can convince you almost, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are more than just this flesh. We are something beyond time and space and comprehension. We're literally like, yeah, uh, you know, a part of God, you know, it's, and it's crazy because God is such a loaded word and so many people have a different interpretation of that word. But I truly understand what, where all the religions are pointing to, where all the mystical traditions converge after this experience, the same experience you're referring to. And I've had it with a number of psychedelics, but it, it is the thing that kind of binds the celebration of life and everyone kind of having this more lighthearted attitude about life and it erasing depression because they understand how rare and beautiful and sacred this thing is and they start to move with more purpose in life instead of just feel like it's another day you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you know it, it caused me to look at religion differently you know there's a few people who um, talk about you know i think john allegro talks about the mushroom and the cross and his theories and um there's the um brian rescue the immortality key i think is yep. the name of the book yep and you know you look back and you're like, geez, these things have been around forever. Totally. And people were trying them or experiencing them intentionally or unintentionally forever. Right. And so... Unintentionally it, is a big thing there because people would have no idea what caused them to have these visions, these revelations, these messages from the divine. It would just come to them and they would say, oh, I was chosen by God, right? Exactly. And, and, and you'd believe that, you know, yeah, I would, would believe that as well. Um, I would too. These things are extraordinarily <laughs> convincing, these experiences, you know. Especially if you don't know, like, like I, I even know people who have, like, mistakenly taken um, acid in a super high dose because it was in a bottle in their freezer mm-hmm. and not knowing what's happening, thinking they're dying and, like, you know, seeing the other side and then coming back and realizing, like, hey, like, you know, this is what actually happened. But in that moment, you don't know. And you sort of, there's fear that comes up. And when you look back and read a lot of these ancient texts and scriptures, you know, you just change a few words to like, hey, took a, you know, a cup of ayahuasca or a huge hit of acid. And it explains exactly their experience. And 100%. And um, it just made it more interesting to go back and read these texts at another time and say, okay, like, we're talking about the same thing here, you know? Um, 
this profound knowing, this sense of connection, this visualization where you're on fire or, you know, you see these incredible lights and sounds and like these trumpets and, you know, they can all be this altered state, which maybe is induced by entheogens. Maybe it's induced by other means that are more um, natural, let's say, without it. Maybe yeah. it's induced by near-death experiences. It's maybe it's both, you know, because yes, the plants are causing it, but we're wired to receive the experience. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be wired to receive that experience. Psilocybin can exist and we can eat it and it do nothing. But our nervous system knows what to do with the chemicals, where to put them, how to get rid of them. And so, it, it really tell it's, you know, foretelling, I don't know if that's the right word, but of the co-relationship between humans and plants and uh, for all of time. And who did that? Mm-hmm. Who made uh, that? Nature, so, nature did it, you know, it's just the way it is. You and know? so it makes you think about like how incredible and how almost by design this experience is, right? Yeah. Like, you know, coincidence? I, I don't think so. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so, so, so that just led me to this coming back and, you know, sharing my experience with, mm-hmm. you know, and I think a lot of people can resonate, you know, the first time you do something like ayahuasca, you want to, you become the, the ayahuasca evangelist, the ayahuasca salesman, you want to tell everyone mm-hmm. about and how they should do it and this and that. So I had a bit of that coming back and mm-hmm. was received not exactly the way I expected. Like people thought it was a bit nuts. Like, what are Same. you talking about? You know? Same. And, and then I realized, well, you know, like maybe not people are not ready for it, but they just have no understanding and it's very fearful for them to sort of hear these things, especially go so much against what they're, what they're, what they've been taught to believe or especially about psychedelics. So I better like just take it easy. I was still doing business at the time and, you know, I had a bit of fear about being judged for my community and people that, you know, family. Mm-hmm. And so I started like every conversation I'd have this like argument that mm-hmm. I had already in my mind about like, the safety, the historical use, the religious use, all right. these things. And then I started getting tired of like telling that to people as right. like, almost like a preacher. So that the documentary was sort of born out of that. I was like, Hey, if yeah. I like, you know, reach out to a bunch of these experts and like, just like tell my story and share it, um, it'd be a lot easier just to share with people rather than just going through this whole thing here, watch this. Then we'll have a conversation if you have questions type thing. And, and that's 1000%. And so it's like, okay, so I really didn't have an intention of, you know, doing like film festivals or making money off it. It was just like, I want to just tell this story and it would be a fun thing. I'd never made a movie before or a documentary and right. had some help filming it. And it was amazing because I just went with this intention. I had this intention to share a story, a passion that I felt sort of deeply uh, connected to. And what ensued was it just happened. Like things fell into place. Um, people showed up when I needed them. Um, people that I wanted in the documentary were open uh, to do it, which I don't think would be such the case now. It's kind of early when they were sort of really getting into the space as well, like Graham Hancock, Albert Mate, um, you know, oh, some of the other people had in it um, as well. And there's a really interesting, interesting story, like how there was this shaman, Dave, who would travel, and um, he was a Peruvian shaman. So he would chant. He studied down in, in Peru for like 15 years, and it was really – really amazing. And I really wanted to have him in cause he was a white dude. And, um, uh, but he really like, like took, I guess a lot of, um, it was really important to him to really understand the culture and to really sort of learn it from like the, the grassroots, not just trying to be like, Hey, I'm a shaman. He was like, really put the work in. And, you know, I really just want to get his perspective, his experiences and like how he connected with people. And so I go out and I do this amazing interview with him and, um, 
And then I go out to to the the West Coast, interview Gabor Mate, and I'm just trying to find a few more people to like close off, like finish the story. Totally. And um, and uh, Gabor um, told me about two people. One was Lisa, who's in the documentary, you know, a former heroin addict that sort of transformed her life. And it was an incredible story. Um, and the other one was this girl that I had to see from Boston and I had no budget. I was, this was self-funded. I think it cost me like 15 grand to do the whole thing, okay. um, which is crazy. Um, uh, but I had no other budget. It was, it was self-funded and I was like, yeah, okay. So this Lisa girls in Toronto. Perfect. I'll find her the Boston girl. Um, I guess, you know, I'll try to reach out, out to her, see if she's ever in Toronto, which she wasn't mm-hmm. actually, I didn't even, I didn't even get a hold of that girl. She, she was a woman who had scleroderma, which is a tightening of the skin disease. Um, and once you sort of have it, it's a slow, painful death where you, you turn into a mum, mummy. Like your skin mm-hmm. just like tightens up, your hands shrivel up and very right. painful. And I was, I was going through the editing process. And when we get to Dave's footage, it was all corrupted. Like mm. half the footage was gone. I was just oh, like so that. like, oh, so like crushed. I was like, oh, this I've been there. so good. He doesn't come around that often. I may never see him again. So I reach out to him and um, literally he was going to be in Toronto area the next week. Um, And I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm I'm in, I'm going to (laughs) come. I didn't have a crew to come with me. So I just grabbed all the gear that I could. And I, I I went up to this sort of retreat center up in Northern Ontario. And um, I get there and I'm trying to set up my stuff and I'm like, dude, does anyone know how to use this camera? Cause like, I don't know how to like do like the light settings and like make sure like I'm not over going to expose this thing. I want to make sure you get it right. And lo and behold, like half the people there are like professional, like, like camera crews and like people who work yeah. on set all the time, lighting and sound. And so if all these Amazing. people help me out, I do the interview and I actually was even better because um, the things when I was, when I was watching the first time around, just a few things I want to ask. And so I do that, and afterwards I go into the uh, the kitchen of this of this you know retreat center. Mm-hmm. I just start talking to this lady, and as we're talking, like I'm looking at her hands, and they're like, like kind of like shriveled up, like healing, but like like mm-hmm. shriveled up. And I look at her; she's Asian, and I'm like, "Are you Mandy by any chance?" She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. How'd you know? I'm like, "You live in Boston." She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh my wow. god!" Like. The Gabor told me about you. I was, you know, supposed to reach out to you. I didn't have the budget to fly you in or fly out there. And like, you know, would you like to tell your story? And she's like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it just happened. Like it was supposed to be, I set this intention and like the universe conspired to make it happen. Right. And, you know, like she was one of the, the stories that like a lot of people like really resonated with and sort of reached out and said like, whatever. I remember and that Yep. You know, and it makes me kind of wonder, like, like what is going on? You know, like, how does something like that happen? Like, totally. the probability of it happening, if you, you know, you, you, you try to calculate it, you could say it's like one in a whatever. Yeah, one in a million a at least, you know. Or it's 100%. Like, it's only, there's, it had, it was only going to be that way. Like, the, the probability is 100% probability. Yeah. Well, right? that's the interesting way that the mind changes when you, fu- when you start on this path, you know. Um you start to see all the opportunity ahead of you before you and and not the limitations and the walls and the blocks. You just start to see, oh, it's all here for me now. You know, I just have to trust it and move with it and move with this energy. And I can't relate more to that, honestly, you know, like that, like that is exactly how I feel my path has unfolded was I didn't have to go searching for stuff. It just landed in my lap, you know, every time, every great collaboration, every good conversation, every new friendship just landed square in my lap and I didn't even have to look for it. And it was like, whoa, 
like, you know, I did put the intention out. I was like, I want to connect with people that understand this space because I had such a profound experience with it as well. Um, and it does seem like at first it's like, well, you know, well, what are the odds? Cause no one I know, uh, is into this, you know, everyone I know that I'm talking to about it doesn't relate. And in fact, could be scared off or, you know, be worried for me. Um, and, and instead I just had a, you know, could kind of put this intention out that I want to attract the, the, the soul fam, more or less the people that get it, you know, and lo and behold, you know, you hold that intention for long enough and they just, it all just comes your way. It's, it's crazy. And yeah, what is it? Is it chance? Is it meant to be that way? You know, like there's no way to prove either of those things. But what I feel in my heart is that when you are in alignment with your higher self or your soul's calling or whatever label you want to put on it, your dharma, you know, um, doors just open where previously there were walls, essentially. Yeah. And I think just to elaborate on that, you know, like when you, when your mind is fixated, especially in like a negative mindset, like things are the way they are and you're in a victim mentality, you sort of put this tunnel of like, this is how things are. And mm-hmm. when you when you're open to possibility, when you're open to like, hey, things can change at any moment, whether it's on a micro level or a macro level, um, you know, like anything can change at any moment. And just be open to that. You know, your awareness is also open to see these opportunities that are there. Whereas when you close yourself off, so these things could have been around in your life. They probably are your whole entire life. But if you don't have the awareness to see it, you're just going to keep walking it by until you start having that more awareness or that awakening moment where, you know, you realize like, hey, like it doesn't have to be this way. I don't have to sort of live in this sort of like box. Mm-hmm. Um, I can break break through that. And um, an amazing book that I always recommend to everyone that I work with or friends is called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Okay. And, <clears throat> you know, it's his life story, which I love stories. Um basically it's, it's about surrendering to life and, and surrendering on the sense of like allowing like a, the universe is in control and like you have no sort of free will and like you take no action because like this is everything's supposed to happen. It's, it's the way I interpret it. It's like having intention, being like, you know, curious and excited about life and, and working hard, but not being, um, fixated or trying to control the outcomes of any of the experiences because you don't know in the long run if it's good or bad, right, you know, like, right. like, like when, you know, like I thought I was dying, you know, way back, it was probably the worst experience of my life at the time, but I had to go there to shift out of the current reality I was in. If I never had that experience, I'd probably still be, you know, in that sort of frame of mind that I was stuck in. Mm -hmm. So something was pushing me, whether it was, you know, like we said, like the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. It was like, Hey man, you know, we, we need to make a shift here and over and over in my life, you know, and now I have a different lens, but, but previously, you know, as, as recent as a few years ago, um, I can see now every one of these really challenging experiences where I sort of go into that, Hey, why is this happening to me? It's all for a reason. It's all super important. So you get to this point of your growth, you sort of hit a plateau and then it's like, Hey, do I really want to stay here? Or do I need to shake things up a bit? And do I need to keep moving and keep evolving? Yeah. Um, 1000%. And it's, so it's good just, that you listen to that though, because some people have that coming up for them, but they won't take the leap of faith to follow it. You know what I mean? And just, yeah. And when something challenging is happening, just to not to like, look at it as the absolute end. Like this is not the end of the line. Like anything can happen after this. And there's, there's this parable. I'll probably, you know, kill it or not say it properly. But <laughs> um, I think it was a Chinese farmer. I think it was Alan Watts. I heard him speak about it 
mm-hmm. where, um, you know, there's a, a wild horse that, um, that uh, comes into town or this farmer catches this wild horse. Yeah. Um, or no, all of the horses run away. So they run away oh, and the okay. town's like, Oh, what bad luck you have, you know, like it's horrible. It's like, we'll see. The next day, mm-hmm. all these wild horses come back. This horse comes back and it brings like a wild horse with it. So now he's a new horse. Oh, what luck you have. Mm-hmm. You know, so then the son is trying to tame this wild horse, falls off and breaks his leg. They're like, oh, what bad luck you have. You know, this is a bad omen for sure. You know, blah, blah. It's like, you know, we'll see. You know, the next day war starts out and like they come around and they're trying to recruit all the young boys to go to war. And the farmer's son can't go because he's a broken leg. They're like, oh, what good luck you have. You know, he's like, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> You know, and every one of those, and I think it went on past that as well, but, you know, right. like every one of those situations in the finite sense of it, you can try to judge is it good or bad, but we really don't know ultimately. Right. And I think when we look at what's happening now in the world, you know, I think we all can agree a lot of the systems we have were unsustainable, you know, whether it be capitalism, pollution, um, you know, our political systems, our healthcare systems. There's yeah. so many things that I see that are wrong that can be done better, but you know, they're so controlled. And maybe we're at that yeah. point where it has to implode or explode, or like everything's coming out. People are expressing their anger and you know, trying to like you know, divide so much. And it's like, oh, this is probably the worst time ever in humanity. But who knows? Maybe you know, what, if we get through this, or when we get through this, we look back and say, oh my god, we need to shine light on all those things, all these mm-hmm. reasons we had, you know, that we were against each other in order to unify once again yeah so so yep. i always keep it in the back of my mind and and ultimately it's like you know try to be a good person through it all try to understand other people's perspective try to lead with love you know yes. try to be open-minded you know respect people's autonomy you know do things you know have your own freedom but don't infringe on others um yes. and a lot 1, of these things i learned through like psychedelics you know mm-hmm. it, it just yeah showed. They, they said they seem to be able to crunch a whole bunch of learning into just few hours like almost years of learning, let's even say five to 10 years of life experience in five hours, because it puts you in this place where you can really understand the learning. And even if it's a tough love type learning, like it puts you in the place to be able to perceive the the value in the tough love learning. Um, mm-hmm. it, it humbles you and gives you life lessons by the minute you know it's crazy because honestly it gives you so many more lessons than we can even hold on to Mm -hmm. and that's why integration is such a big thing that people talk about all the time you have to integrate the learnings you have to integrate the lessons because we do get them and it's important to write them down i think because then you can always go back and remember oh yeah like i had this learning already you know because if you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over even though you you know, have learned, that is the definition of insanity, you know, which right. is, you know, repeating the same mistake, except uh, expecting a different result. Right. And you're not going to get a different result, you know, and that's just part of like karma almost is this thing is going to happen to you repeatedly until you learn and change your relationship to this thing, whatever it might be, you know, it could be addiction, it could be abuse. It could be whatever. I don't know. Like it's something that holds you back. Whatever it is, it's something that holds you back, and you'll keep finding yourself in this place and not changing your relationship to that thing. And that is a trap. And these things show you how to get out of the trap. It's like you're willingly putting your foot into a bear trap. Psychedelics open the bear trap and say, "Okay, we're going to let you out now." But if you just go put your foot right back in, you're going to be stuck again. You know. So when it lets you out, so to speak metaphorically you gotta walk away Mm -hmm. from the bear trap you know 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think like sometimes like it, people's entire life is, is a bear trap, you know, the environment they live in, you know, the people they surround themselves with, the work, the TV, mm-hmm. um, you know, and if you take, you know, the medicine, the psychedelic, whatever you want to call it, and you go back into that bear trap, you know, where all the things that are still there that made you feel sick in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it's, it's, you're going to keep needing to go back and you're going to keep getting those like punishments or hard experiences, or maybe you get euphoria and you just depend on that for an escape every once in a while. Right. Like you said, the key is like, what's the change you're going to make now that you've seen the other side. And for some people, like that one experience is enough where they, they understand like, whoa, that was so profound. Cause they had an experiential learning, you know, like a therapist can tell them all as much as they want. Or they can repeat, you know, over and over just from a mental perspective. But when you embody it specifically in the heart and maybe in the subconscious mind where there's this like awareness, it's like, okay, I can no longer, you know, live in this apartment. I need to move. I need to get out of nature or I need to quit this job or I need to end this relationship. You know, in the, in the psychedelic experience, sometimes it's very clear, but then like when you go into reality, you're like, the mind comes back. It's like, wait a minute. Was that real? Mm -hmm. Is this kind of hard? Do I really want to do that? Cause like your uncomfortable, um, certainty, Mm -hmm. most people will go to that versus, um, you know, what lies in the uncertainty, what is beyond what comes next. So like, I'm really uncomfortable here. Life sucks, but I know what it is. I'm not dead. I'm not dying. I can sort of deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, if I move, if I leave my job, I do all this, even though I know it's killing me, it's way scarier, the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, like, I think Terrence McKenna, I always bring this up, you know, nature rewards courage was, you know, something along those lines. It's like, 1000%. You know, I think we're here to dive into the unknown, you know, almost like, diving into the psychedelic experience, you know, you hit that five MEO pen or pipe, you know, or NNDMT, which I like to stay away from, but more of the five MEO, it's like, Hey, like, you know, this is going to be intense, yeah. you know, but what comes on the other side, you know, can be anything. And usually it's something like amazing. Yep. It's so, practice, you know, like doing these psychedelics is, it, it is uh, anxiety inducing. It does scare you. It does make your ego, it's funny because w- when you know an, a ceremony is coming, your body starts like not wanting to cooperate. Like it starts, the heart's racing. Oh no, I have to pee again, even though I just peed three minutes ago. Oh no, I might have to use the bathroom. Like your body is almost like it knows it's about to like go through something. And it's really interesting how intuitive the body is like before ceremony because it knows oh no, like I'm going bye-bye, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a big deal. It's a, This is a serious thing. But again, it's practice for the spiritual dimension that is to come when it's time for us to leave this body. Um, and the more kind of like practice we get with these experiences, the, the better, more smoothly that's going to go. And I think another thing it gives you practice in is life review, you know, because some people won't review their life until it's their last day or they're deathly sick in a hospital. And then they're looking back at their life and saying, oh, did I really do the things I wanted to do? And psychedelics give you a glimpse of that. And they, they, they show you your life review before your life's over. And therefore, you can correct course and do the things you do want to do. Because we all have aspirations we all have hopes and when we're kids we're in touch with that you want to be a firefighter you want to be a movie director you want to be a ballerina you want to be you 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 just want to be and you feel no fear about it when you're a kid for some reason as you grow up society 
shoves you into a corner and says, no, you can't do any of that. You just got to be a worker bee and that's it. And then, you know, we're like, oh, darn it. Well, okay, I believe you, but this doesn't feel great. You know, where's that childlike spirit at? Um, well, these things kind of bring it back into your life and it takes that courage to delve into the unknown and go through the process and the ego death or whatever you want to call it. But out on the other side is a beautiful life should you choose to create it and realize you are mm. the creator of your life and your experiences and you have a real say in the direction it goes, you know? Yeah. And, and I love that you bring that up because um, having some like self-awareness of the person you have become and the person you are, a lot of people are just looking outward and never take the time to reflect on, on like, Hey, like who have I become? And one of the, the places that I teach at, um, it's an ayahuasca retreat center called Rhythmia. Um, I, I love going there. It's an amazing experience. Um, and the suggested intention they have for night one, um, on the medicine is show me who I've become. Yeah. You know, and sometimes people can't handle to see like who they become, like how they treat their family and friends, right. you know, what they do for work, what the thoughts are inside their head, like how they've changed as a person over their lifetime. And sometimes it's because of, you know, traumas or experiences or whatever, but like just seeing where you're at sort of sets the framework. Okay. Like I need to make change in my life. And then like we talked about earlier, it's like, how do I change? And so do you need plant medicines to do that? No, you don't. It obviously makes it a lot more like, you know, it hits home a lot more when you see it like in that perspective, but yeah. um, just, just checking in like all the areas of your life and how you feel, you know, relationships, career, you know, your, your financial situation, your physical body, your mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you feel triggered, you know, like, what is that? What are emotions? Like, yeah. like emotions are like a GPS to your soul. They're trying, to, they're trying to tell you, Hey, like there's something here that we need to address, you know? And, and, and instead of like suppressing our emotions, which most people do or chasing the positive ones through drugs, alcohol or whatever, um, you know, we need to sort of just like shine some light on them. Like, yeah, thank you for being a powerful sort of influence in my life. You know, this fear or this anxiety, mm-hmm. but like what's really at the root of this? Like, what are you, why are you trying to get my attention? If you're anxious all the time, you know, something's out of alignment that you need to bring awareness to. Yeah. It's not like you just have anxiety and now I need to take a medication for my anxiety. It's right. like, Hey, there's something trying to get your attention. Um, and so when you start looking at that perspective, when you start looking from that perspective, you know, um, you know, can change things a little bit. And that's how you see like, Hey, like how can psychedelics really, you know, cure some of these things or alleviate some of these things. So they bring your awareness to it mm-hmm. and they can change the story. A lot of time we have an emotional charge to these sort of things that have happened, which creates a feeling where it's like, Hey, every time someone raised their voice, I remember when my dad used to scream at me when I was a kid, which mm-hmm. wasn't my case, but I'm just use an example. So every time someone raised their voice, I feel this gut instinct. And, you know, maybe a psychedelic can say like, Hey, your dad during that time in his life was like under so much pressure. He didn't mean to, you know, yep. he, or he wanted to inspire you to work harder. That's why he was so hard on you. You know, as a child, you can't understand that, you know, but maybe as an adult, you can see it from a different perspective and have some forgiveness and that can create all the shift in the world. And we don't know what, what is really ailing us for everyone's it's different. You know, they say like kids from the age of zero to eight, like all these things happen just subconscious mind. That's what sets the tone for the rest of their life. And mm-hmm. something as little as, you know, crying as a baby because you're hungry and not being breastfed can create a trauma yep. and you can hold on to it into your body for the rest of your life. Yep. Right. 100%. Um, yeah. Those traumas are really revealed through the psychedelic experience. And that might be part of why people have fear because they don't want to relive the trauma. But the thing is, is that I've found that the psychedelic state and the plants responsible for it 
have some type of love and or grace inside that says, we're showing you this so that you get better, not mm-hmm. to ridicule you. We're not showing you your trauma to point and laugh at you. We're showing you your trauma just so you know, and we're going to show it with love and compassion and understanding so that you can grow from this experience. And that is where healing comes from. And trauma, everyone has trauma. Everyone has PTSD to varying degrees. Some people honestly get raised with a silver spoon, have all the money, all the comforts of life. And that's actually traumatizing because they never learn how to be their own person and how to survive themselves. So even people that we think have it quote unquote made have trauma too from having it so well made. You know, like no one gets through uh, the teenage years, you know, without some type of scars, you know, and it's good. It builds character. We hear about that. Failure builds character. It's good that we need to fail. We need to learn what the limitations are on ourselves and, um, and others and stuff. And I don't know. I just really feel like psychedelics have grace and love inside that experience. And you can trust what they're telling you and how they're telling you and how they're showing you. Um, because there is a wisdom in it. There's, it's not just, quote unquote, a bad trip. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I had a bad trip. I hate that chemical. It's like, no, you just didn't take it right. You just didn't observe what it was showing you right. You took it personally. You didn't take it with a spiritual, you know, um, I don't know, like a, a spiritual angle of growth, you know? Yeah. You know, it's it's always what you need, not what you want. And, you know, right. you know the whole bad trip, and even the word bad trip, it's like for me, it doesn't even sit right, although I use it because uh, people understand what it means. Um, you know, it's just something that you had to see that's mm-hmm. been inside of you for a long time that's probably holding you back. And it could yep. be, you know, sometimes, like you said, like you might not have prepared properly or, you know, been in the right setting. And it can show you, like, hey, like, what's going on in your life? Why aren't you taking some time to, like, you know, settle down and be feel safe and feel comfortable? And mm-hmm. also, what I've noticed is, like, you know, these experiences, whether it be breath work or psychedelics, you know, we repress these emotions in our nervous system, in our body, you know, we hold on to them in our mind. And sometimes, or most of the time, or from my perspective, the only way to get them out, you have to experience them as they're leaving, you know, your mm-hmm. nervous system is yes. going to start releasing it. And it's going to, you're going to feel those feelings again. But, yeah. you know, the reflex sort of solution is to suppress because I don't, that doesn't feel comfortable. I want to hold on. I don't want to have this breakthrough experience although I'm right at the edge. So I'm just doing everything I can to like be here and present and not let go. Um, whereas, you know, what I've learned is like the more you can say, okay, like I've held on to this for so long, you know, like I, I appreciate it as a teacher, you know, when I felt this as a child, I was not safe and I needed this reminder to keep me safe as a kid, but I don't need to hold on to that anymore. You know, when you can really dive into it and say like, where am I feeling this in my body? Or like, why am I feeling this? Sometimes, you know, I've been, I've been holding space for people in a session and like, you know, you can see that the nervous system just twitching and just like letting go of something that's been there for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we need to honor that process and just like try to be present for it rather than try to suppress. And more times than not, if I've been in a, scary situation or bad trip and i've tried to suppress it it just gets worse whereas Mm -hmm. when you say okay like let me see what's here let me really sort of try to like just be in this experience and not try to run from it i say dissolve or get better or like go through it where when i come out it's like oh my god i feel so much better now you know it may not make sense but you know there's some level of understanding so 
Right. I don't know if any of that makes sense. If any of you are listening or you may resonate because you felt it before. I don't know about you, Matt, but um, for me, I definitely resonate. Uh, You know, what comes up for me is, uh, is around like the, the investment of time, you know? So um, just as a metaphor, you know, say that there's this hard task uh, that you've been putting off. Let's call it building a website. You know, you need to build a website. You've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. You put it off for three months and every day you think about it and it brings you some slight anxiety. Oh, I haven't done it yet. Oh, I haven't done it yet. So if you actually were to invest five hours and build the damn website, you would save yourself three months of stress in Mm -hmm. five hours, right? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like be willing to see what ayahuasca wants to show you for 10 minutes and fully see it and fully go with it for 10 minutes. And then it'll be gone for years. Or you can hold on to it. Or you can hold on to it. It's up to you. Yeah. And some people yeah. hold on for their entire life. Right. And, and it's you can fear see though. It. It's fear. You know, you, we all hear that saying, you know, uh, you know, the fear, w- what is it saying? It's like, f- there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. Right. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's people are just afraid to invest the 10 minutes in seeing the truth or, or at least something that is of a different perspective than you're used to seeing. And, I don't know. In my mind, these psychedelics tend to show us something closer to truth than some distortion. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And again, going back to what I was saying before, a lot of people, like a huge amount of people that I've worked with or in my, or in my community, at one point, they feel like they're scared of how they're going to change because of psychedelics. They're scared mm-hmm. that what is going to happen is going to be worse than it was what, what I'm feeling now, which is not mm-hmm. good. But there's so much fear about the uncertainty, you know, like, hey, what if I'm going to want to quit my job? Well, you hate your job. You tell me all the time, yeah, you make good money, but you can't stand it. You work 80 hours a week. So if right. if this made that change, you know, it may be something for the better. Oh, but I can't do that. I have too much responsibility or blah, 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 X, Y, Z. Um, right. So again, like it's always the mind trying to get in the way and it's like trying to protect itself, the ego, you know, mm-hmm. trying to keep it safe from uncertainty. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of topic to sort of explore, but I think the more you just get into it, you start seeing that break down more and more, and then it becomes yeah. evident, like, hey, like I have to do this, like there's no choice, really. Yeah. Well, one big thing I see a block around a lot of people, and I've said this on tens of my casts, so it's definitely me repeating myself, but it is that some for some reason people mistake money for happiness. They 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 tend to think if I have money, I will be happy. But uh, if you look for the statistics about people who have money and the levels of happiness, you'll see that there's not a correlation. In fact, after you reach around $80,000 a year, you can make 10x more money and you won't be any more happy than the amount of happiness that $80,000 a year will offer. So yes, we need money, we need comfort, we need food, we need air conditioning, we need fuel in our car. Yes, we need all that. But once those basic needs are met, like more and more and more money on top of that doesn't create more happiness, you know? And a lot of times it actually creates more stress. So for people to think, oh, I can't do that because I need my money to be happy. uh, Well, you'd be surprised because sometimes people give up money and they're a lot more happy. Right. And I think 
but that's part of people's journey. Like they need to experience that to understand it. That was part of my journey where I thought like, Hey, the more money I make, the happier I'm going to be. And I started, I, listen, I didn't make a ton of money, but I was making more money than I was making before. And as I was making more, I was just seeing more and more of the, the sort of um, disconnection I had with, with this feeling inside of me of emptiness, or I was mm-hmm. seeing it more and more. I was like, Hey, like this is not the way. And when I work with clients, when I'm coaching, you know, instead of like manifesting or creating a vision board of all the things you want, I get them to really focus on like, how do you want to feel? Like if I could say tomorrow you can wake up, how would you want to feel for the whole day? Like what are the words you would describe? Yeah. Energetic. If you're listening listening now, yeah. Ask yourself like, you know, connected, supported, creative, loved, relaxed, at ease. And then I said, okay, like how many of those things could you do right now without spending a penny? Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of them, a bunch of them. Right. Yeah. And you know, so people think there's this pathway to get those things. I need to make a lot of money so I can buy all those things, or I can hire someone to make me feel that way. Or so like people will like me and then I'll have all this. But in reality, mm-hmm. it's not, it's like, okay, so like feel all these things, imagine yourself feeling them on a daily basis. And then, okay, what does it look like? What does your surroundings look like? Okay. I'm around my family and friends. Yep. We're just hanging out at the park. We're just enjoying each other's time. I'm in the moment. I'm not worrying about all this other stuff. I'm not worrying about money and work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, how much do you really need all of that? And mm-hmm. um, it just changed the whole perspective. Like you said, like you don't need money to feel those ways, you know, right. and sometimes money will make it worse. Like you, you manifesting is real. I believe in a visualization is real, but sometimes people don't realize the baggage that comes along with some of those things. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. I want like a $3 million house and a fancy car. Well, you know, that house is going to take a lot of upkeep. There's going to be a lot of taxes along to it. It's going to be empty. If there's, you know, people living in it, you might feel more alone in a bigger house. Yeah. Uh, more people are probably going to use you for your money than for actually wanting to like, actually like you as a person, mm-hmm. you know, what else comes with this like flashy lifestyle, people who want to have a relationship with you, not for who you are, for what they think you are, what you think you're supposed to be. And then are you going to feel any better at the end of the day? Probably not. Right. You know, right. Hundred percent, because you have to keep keep some facade on instead of just be who you are, you know. And that that brings up that saying, you know, I'd rather be hated for who I am than love for who I'm not. Mm-hmm. And it's true, it's true, and it's just a part of growing up and understanding boundaries. You know what I mean? Because everyone wants to be liked. It's almost something that school instills in you. It's like, oh, well, these guys are popular. Like, you know, everyone knows their name. You know, so like, I want to be like that, but. Um, again, you know, if you're being popular for a thing that isn't even you, now you're, you're just like lying to yourself, lying to the world. And that's not good for your soul. <laughs> it's not and, good for you. And that was a realization I had when I started doing like podcasting and like I was on social media, it was always about, Oh, I need to get more numbers. I need to have all these people following me and do this and do that. And I realized like, why do I care about that? Like, having right. 10 billion followers, like, is that going to really make me any closer connection to any one of them? I was like, yep, no, I was like, let me just, let me just put some content out that resonates with me from the heart. And whoever needs to hear, it's going to hear it. And exactly through that, I've met some really amazing people. Like, you know, people reach out to me and, or I've connected with them or they showed up to one of my events or, you know, taking a training or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, like, this is why I do this. I don't do this to make money. I don't do this to be someone who I'm not. I just want to mm-hmm. share openly and, you know, I could probably have way better strategies for social media. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's like, okay, that's not important for me. It's like, if this thing is meant to be bigger, it'll just organically grow bigger. And, yep. you know, and I use that sort of litmus test for all the businesses I do now. It's like, Hey, when things start growing organically, then you don't put more energy there because it's just growing organically. And we have to like right. force things to happen and really like 
oh my God, I need to do this and do that. It feels like work and you feel this feeling mm-hmm. like, hey, there's resistance there. It's like, don't go there. Mm-hmm. And the mind is doesn't want to listen a lot of times. Like, no, this is what you have to do. This is what all these other people are doing. This is what's going to make you money. This is what's going to make you successful. You know, because we have right. a lot of that conditioning. And it's right. like about like breaking free from that. It's like, hey, let's just feel in. Like what makes me feel at peace? What makes me feel good? You know, when do I feel yep. energized? Like you said, like the first one you're sort of energized. What yep. energizes you when you wake up in the morning? And what makes you feel like, you know, tired, lazy, feels resistance? And yep. do more of that. There's a lot there. But I, dude, there's so much more I want to talk about. And we only have 30 more minutes. Let's jump. So. Let's jump over. What, what do you yes. want to get into next? Yeah. Amazing stuff. So you actually went on, I believe it was a 40-day dry fast. Is that okay. correct? No, not correct. It was 55 days of juice fasting, okay, which included dry fasting. So the longest dry fast was about five and a half days of no food or no water or like no liquids. Wow. Holy crap. Um, which was intertwined with this 55-day um, fast. I'm actually going to Costa Rica very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I plan when I get there to dive into another maybe 30-day fast, um, mm-hmm. some dry mm-hmm. fasting. Just hit the reset button, maybe with some fruit. Um, but yeah, I just want to go deep on the fasting again. I just feel it just really cleanses the body, the mind. Like, yeah. Well, what inspired that? Was it a certain religious text, spiritual text, YouTube video? Did you see something that someone had gained some type of spiritual understanding from not eating? It was a mix. When I was initially reading all the spiritual texts in the beginning, they all talked about like these long fasts, going to the desert, Mm -hmm. going to a cave, going out into nature and just like, you know, being there and not you know, eating or sleeping or, you know, even like the native traditions, they do these humblatias where they go for like four days, no food or water or sleep. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I want to experience that. And then around this, you know, at a certain point, I think it was 2017. Um, funny enough, my wife um, was on this Facebook group where they were doing these like extended fasts and like people's eye color were changing like, from brown to blue and like wow. all these like parasites were coming on their body and healing from like things like, you know, the C word or like nerve issues, like just really things that were super intense. Right. And I was like, ah, I know it's not for me, whatever. And eventually mm-hmm. I jumped in the group and started seeing all these pictures and all these things. Okay. Like I'm going to try this. Cause that's how I am. You know, and when I'm, when I become curious, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to try this for myself. Right. And I lost like 40 or almost 50 pounds. I think I went to 149 mm-hmm. and probably started around 200 and I looked super yeah. skinny. I couldn't see how skinny I was like in the, in the moment I just felt really good and it was lean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But looking back at videos and pictures, I was like, I was like super skinny and my family was, yeah. was worried. Like, I was going to go for like a hundred days. Wow. Um, and they were just like, they thought I was dying. Some people thought I had, you know, cancer and sure. well, um, it's almost like what Buddha did. Buddha yeah. started to live as an ascetic and they would actually ridicule him for eating because he was amongst this group of fellow ascetics and they were all like, this is the way to God and we're not going to eat because that's for weak minded people. And Buddha, you know, eventually had to eat or he was going to die. And through eating, gained a massive realization that it's not about taking it to the extreme and dying. How can I deliver a message to the people if I'm dead? Right. You know, mm-hmm. so like, um, but he, you know, it was necessary for him to go through that process, it seems, to come out the other side of it. Um, and then he did change the world. I mean, everyone knows who Buddha is when I say his name, you know, like even thousands of years later. So these ascetics right. didn't have it right. Although, um, there is something to be gained from this. Yes, it cleans the body, but I'm I'm a little more interested in the spiritual 
angle it, it did it give you visions so, at all that what spiritual insights came from this? i fully believe that um this may sound crazy but um i i believe we have the capacity to be breatharian like i i believe it's a I possibility it. i believe that it's it's a lot closer than we think and i believe that a lot of the food programming is intentional um it goes back further than we understand but you know there's a point in time when when we were probably wanted to be enslaved and they put us on these diets grains corn um you know whatever right and the first few weeks of not eating food like you see your mind with this attachment to like oh i need to eat i've been, tra- you've been right. trained to eat two or three times a day since since birth and like i read a lot of arnold Eret who talks about the mucusless diet and how like we are um like more gas machines so energy is like made through breathing, not from eating. Eating actually slows us down. takes a lot of energy to eat. It's more of an experience and numbs our feelings. And so when you start, when you stop eating food for extended period of time, the beginning is is a lot of, you feel the addiction, you feel the cravings, you feel like your senses are heightened. You can smell like the food, whoever's cooking down the street. Um, Yeah. Your body starts feeling different. It feels like you're healing different things, like old injuries sort of come back a little bit. It's kind of like something's being addressed there. And then just like this, like after the, third week for me um just this clarity it was like i stopped having the cravings i didn't really care about food and i just had this clarity and like everything around me had to be more clear and organized like i was clearing out drawers that were messy my computer i cleaned out all my desktop and all my file folders like anything that was like not needed and i just felt really good clear and simple like very simplified like i wanted to like start getting rid of a lot of my shit like minimalism if you watch a documentary like i felt that yeah i love that one and i felt super intuitive so like i I didn't have to really think much about making a decision it was just like automatic um i felt um a lot of energy i wasn't tired i didn't have to sleep much well one thing that comes up for me about all that is that you know when you eat three meals a day, it takes time. So now you're not eating. So you get that time back. So much. So even if you're, yeah, if you're awake for even 16 hours a day, uh, let's say eating takes three hours every day, not only eating, but even processing, you know, and driving to the, the, to the grocery store and driving back and having a big meal and needing to lay down because you're full and you're not doing anything, you know, when you're laying down and you get all this time back, as well. So it's like, oh, well, what can I do with all this time? Like, I, I feel super clear and free, and I can finally do the things I've been wanting to do clear out my drawers, clear out my sweater closet. You know what I mean? That's one angle. But I did want to ask you um, have you heard of this concept of uh, when people stop eating, eventually some type of this is a mystical idea. It's not necessarily a science idea, but um, some type of nectar starts developing and in your. Uh, I don't know, we'll say pineal gland or something like that. And it starts dripping down the back of your throat and you start getting nutrients from your body and or the sun. I've heard people, you know, talk about this in the Eastern traditions. So I felt something like that. I would say a lot of groups I was in, I was reading about, we're talking about like how you're just really um, cleansing mucus in the body. So a lot of the foods we eat are mucus forming, a lot of meat, dairy, grains, and so, like, that process alone takes a long time to really cleanse your body. Um, I have a, One of my spiritual teachers claims, uh, there's no way I can verify this, but um, I believe him, that, you know, he was out in the Himalayas, car broke down, and he um, was left for dead, um, started burning parts of his car to stay warm. 
wakes up in a monastery and they're literally spitting into his mouth this nectar of life from these monks who had been like fasting for a long period of time right um and they say that's what revived him um back to life so i i believe all this is possible i believe the body has insane abilities to heal itself um there's another ancient practice it's called shivambu it's um in the vedic scriptures about um looping your own urine and you know when people get stuck in caves and stuff and apparently it's this system of cleansing your entire body so you drink it uh-huh. cleanses all your organs your pineal gland um, there's stem cells science has found their stem cells in it and they say like the urine is actually like filtered blood plasma and mm-hmm. it goes to the kidneys the liver and it's apparently supposed to be super healthy for you so it's something that i've sort of been curious about um right. i've read a few books on it um, so we really don't know what the body does. I think internally we have everything that we need to heal us completely, to activate different sort of systems, maybe become more like, um, clairvoyance. Um, you know, certain humans can do these things. I think all humans can do these things. Um, but it's like, how far are you willing to sort of dive into this stuff and like, go like, like the thought of drinking your own urine is disgusting. You know, at first glance, I know people who are doing it, who claim like it's brought them back to yeah. life in that first group I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just sharing about healing stories. Like someone came in the group and was like, yeah, look, I was, I was stage four. I had, you know, a month to live. I found this UT group, urine therapy. I started drinking my own urine. And within a month I was been healthier than ever wrinkles, you know, complexion, eyesight, right. you know, and there's a book called, um, the water of life by John, John Armstrong in the forties, who was talking mm-hmm. about all these cases of people healed. And so I, I'm curious, it's like, you know, if these guys are claiming they're curing like these big diseases, why are more people not looking into it? You know, but it's no yeah. lie that the pharmaceutical industry takes urine from like porta potties and sells it into these designer creams because the urea actually wow. heals your skin. When you're in the placenta, when you're in the in the in your mother's womb, that umbilical that that amniotic fluid is mainly urine. Okay. Stem cells, urea, it heals wounds. Right. Um, you know, our pineal gland, you know, some people think there's fluoride and chemicals in the water, calcifies it. Fasting, they say, can potentially, you know, the idea around fasting is your body is so smart. It's this laboratory that's going to then kill any, you know, weak or dead tissue and use it for energy if, if, you know, and so from that process, it sort of rebuilds the entire body. Right. Um, so there's a lot there. There's a lot to explore. You know, I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. about some of these other things. I'm, I'm definitely going to be diving deeper on my next mm-hmm. trip and, yeah, it's a, it's being a scientist in the mystical world, in a sense. It's like, let's try it firsthand, you know? And I know a couple people uh, have made documentaries around, you know, eating uh, Amanita muscaria, peeing it out, and then drinking it, and then having a trip from it. Right. Um, whereas, you know, it actually doesn't make you trip when you b- before you drink your pee. Right. Um, which is interesting, you know, and yes, it's a, it's a weird idea drinking your pee, you know, it's not necessarily a, a one that sounds appetizing, but Hey, ayahuasca doesn't sound appetizing either, but it's got some healing stuff going on there, you know? Right. Right. So that, that's really interesting to me. And, um, and these are ancient scriptures, like, like these are ancient yeah. scriptures, like they talk about as a healing Chinese medicine and they're kind of like forgotten lost teachings because, or for more advanced practices, maybe they would say, uh, but there's a curiosity there for sure. It's like, okay, like what is actually going on? Like why? Well, back why? in the day, they didn't have Netflix and, you know, social media and all the stuff to keep you busy. So the body was what kept them busy. How, how can I explore this vessel of my consciousness? Let me try some experiments out. You know, it's funny, this one 
scene comes to mind in this crazy film. I think it's called like The Holy Mountain. It's kind of like an occult film. Um, but at, at some point towards the end that they're trying to make gold and the, the uh, required substance is human shit. <laughs> um, so that they, they get someone's shit and they put it in a bottle and they start bubbling it up and they're trying to make gold out of it and all this and that. And it's just, you know, uh, it, it was just a provocative kind of thing, but there might be some weird hidden occult truth in the excrement of the human, whether it be pee or, you know, shit or whatever it is. That, that there might be some type of healing uh, to be found in these things. One of the most compelling arguments, because I, I interviewed a guy who's into this practice, and he's like, the urine is not, an, is not a waste. Like, carbon dioxide is not a waste gas. And then, like, yeah. if you're into breath work, you should start realizing, okay, like, this is actually really important. Right. They say that, you know, the waste is the, the shit. And, like, there's no way that a creator who designed this perfect sort of mechanism will put the seed of life in the same sort of system as you know something that's wasteful like you're mm-hmm. in sterile has stem cells in it and so i'm like, oh, like wow like what what is it there for and you know like mm-hmm. maybe like our systems from all this eating all this drinking taking in all this salt all these inorganic materials it's mm-hmm. just thrown off us in general like, a lot of a lot of ancient scriptures talk about people living like three four five hundred years right you know and i would say like Hey, if, if you're gonna like be a breatharian, I could see you living that long. So you're not really slowing yourself down by putting all this material in. So, anyways, oh right, this no, is like a thousand percent. Really there's actually like, there's science in that because I I heard of a uh, of a study I believe that said that this dude who ate something like 500 calories a day for a few years, he was like 50 years old, and he had the inner organs of a 20 year old. Right. Because just think of it, it's like a car. If you drive the car 150,000 miles, the internal engine is going to be, you know, more used than a car that drives 20,000 miles. So if we're, you know, using our digestion, our our digestive system like crazy, you know, three times a day, we're eating, we're eating, we're eating, we're putting use through the system of our body. It's going to wear out sooner in the same way that driving a car that many miles a day uh, is going to be. Uh, it's going to wear out, you know, in a quicker amount of time. So it's interesting that this guy maybe ate a third of what most people eat, and he had a, a, you know, significantly less used body. And they were like, "Dude, you have you have the organs of a twenty year old. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it." You know. And I wish I could call to this study and give the real whole thing, but that's you know that's the the general idea around it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with hundred percent. I think all of the all of the best, most um, impactful things you can do are free. Mm-hmm. I think fasting, breath work, exposure to nature, cold exposure, um, all these things, even plant medicines like mushrooms, stuff like that, they're all free technically, you know, um, right. and they're all the most profound. So you don't need these crazy biohacking equipment. You don't need, you know, um, all of these things. I think it's just like just understanding like, hey, less is more. You know, right. even breathing, you know, the faster you breathe, the less you're going to live, you know, the more breaths you take. Like the, they, the yogis would study animals and the ones that breathe the quickest live the shortest life. And those yeah. that breathe slow and long would live longer. Totally. Uh, like the same goes with eating. If you eat too much, you're going to, you know, look, look what happens to people when they overeat. And I think it's the, right. what we put in the food too. I think like the salts, the sugars, all this refined stuff. Like we have to, all the processed foods, like the more we can get back to sort of the most natural and, and less amount right. of food. And there's a lot of studies on this, you know, like, um, Walter, Walter Longo, oh, the book here, the longevity diet just talks about calorie reduction, 
how that yeah. expands life, how that expands vitality. Right. So, you know, breathing less, you know, Buteco talks about less breaths, makes you healthier, eating less, uh, you know, less stress in your life. Right. So, so yeah, I, so I believe in all that kind of stuff. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you brought up the breath because it's another one I want to get into here. Um, because again, uh, part of the reason maybe some people are dealing with anxiety, depression, you know, just mental strain, so to speak, is that they're breathing shallow and quick. Now, when you start to breathe deep, uh, you're getting like three times the oxygen as a person breathing shallow. Um, it, it does something. Uh, and in fact, I know that you're very well studied in the Wim Hof method. And I'm curious your thoughts on what happens when you Wim Hof and you get that kind of altered state experience. Uh, it's kind of like you, you take a bunch of breaths and then you hold your breath and you expel it out. And during that expelation, and sometimes even during the, the, the last breath hold, uh, some type of shift goes on. Like you, you, you know, like your vision becomes kind of pixel, not pixelated, but I don't know. I, I see all these like almost pixels or dots, uh, sprinkled throughout my vision and I get this kind of lightheaded, like, Whoa, you know what I mean? Like, do you get that sensation and what do you think's going on there? Yeah. Um, okay. A couple questions there. So, Breathwork has become something that's been very close to me. I actually sort of created um, a methodology that we use to sort of bring people on more of like a guided, almost like a psychedelic journey through breath. And that sort yeah. of spun out of my experience with Wim. Um, I was a Wim Hof, one of the first certified instructors in North yeah. America. Mm -hmm. And when we did this week long training up in the Colorado Rocky mountains, um, like jumping in rivers, climbing and doing all these fun things. We did a lot of breath work as well. And I initially was drawn to that then because I want to take a picture for social media, be cool in shorts in my mountain, get a picture with Wim. And I got there, I was like, and practicing going up to it, I just realized how powerful breathwork was. And when I was right. there, I was doing the Wim Hof method like three to five rounds. I'd feel a lot of the feelings that you were feeling. Um, but it wasn't until I did this longer session there with a group of guys that, um, you know, we breathe for about 30 minutes. It's like different speeds. Wim was leading us through playing one of those like handpans. And like, I had this like out of body experience where I started crying uncontrollably, like this cathartic, like cry that I hadn't done since I was a child Yeah. and I just let go of all this shit that I was holding on to. And I came out, I was like, Whoa, what the hell was that? Like, that was incredible. I was confused what happened, but it felt really good. Yeah. And that sort of led me to sort of like create what's now elemental rhythm, which is, mm -hmm. which is the breath work that I teach mainly. I also teach Wim Hof method as well. Um, but what happens is, you know, when you're doing this breathing, you know, people think that we're, we're a, we're inhaling more oxygen, which is kind of true, not really, because you're also expelling a lot of CO2. And the way it works is that a carbon dioxide molecule is actually really important for delivering oxygen to the cells. Mm -hmm. And when you expel too much CO2, your red blood cell, the hemoglobin, holds on to the oxygen. So it doesn't get delivered to tissue. So what I feel is happening, or what, what's technically happening, is your brain is getting starved a bit of oxygen. It thinks it's like dying. It releases these neurochemicals. You feel this euphoric mm -hmm. state. Um, and you may see these visions as well. And so, you know, you can bring someone into that state uh, of being through extended breathwork practice. Um, and then, you know, like, are they releasing DMT maybe, but they have these really deep, uh, cathartic experiences because I think like the body thinks it's dying. I think that's what mm -hmm. we're, you're, you're mimicking like a near death experience. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with the breath holds as well, like you're expelling all this carbon dioxide, 
so that what happens is your carbon dioxide level goes down um, mm-hmm. to, a, to a really low level. And what actually triggers your breathing is not the lack of oxygen. It's the amount of carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So if you expel so much carbon dioxide at the end of a breath hold, you have very little oxygen because you exhaled it and you have a really low carbon dioxide level. So it takes a lot longer for that level to reach the point where your body's going to trigger the response to breathe. And so it's really going to deplete your oxygen level in your brain, and your body. So you get to these really like um, deep states or like low yeah. oxygen states. Some people like they pass out in the Wim Hof method or they'll like go into this like freeze state where they're like start of oxygen. The body will autonomously start breathing again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings you to these altered states of consciousness. So, so what we mm-hmm. did was because I loved, you know, the experiential, you know, more psychedelic journey, I would use music, a little bit of movement, the beat of the music to guide um, right. to guide it and just like, you know, some program tracks and even a little bit of guided meditation after. Cause so I find as you get to this really open state, your, your brainwaves in like a, like an alpha brainwave states so are highly suggestible. All your sort of like blockers are down. And if you bring in a little bit of gratitude or you bring in like some like reprogramming or some positive affirmations, you know, it brings you into this incredible state of, of, of being. Right. Um, right. Have you ever heard of people getting sounds, like sound effects from the breath? Or Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm under and it sounds like you're underwater or you're hearing like these weird sort of intonations I've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. I've heard like whirring, mechanical, almost alien-esque sounds like that cre- almost sounds like an alien ship. Like, you know, it's almost like that pre-NNDMT sort of blast off where you're sort of going through. And, and, and maybe your brain is releasing DMT. So the problem is a lot of these yeah. like DMT theories, they're hard to prove because if your body's releasing it in those moments, like it's very hard to trace in the body to see if it's Well, yeah, it gets that. eaten up immediately. <laughs> right. You know, it gets released and then it's gone from your system in five minutes. So it's like, or right. less. So like, how can you really even test for it? But, but something ex- is happening. Experientially, the exp- you know, like it sounds like DMT is being released. There are by, similarities. By what people say, yeah, by Absolutely. what people say about visuals and auditory, quote unquote, hallucinations. You know, like what else would do it? It's not LSD. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. You know, it's not psilocybin. So the fact that it, it would be DMT uh, makes the most sense. You know, right. Um, and so yeah, and so then then your que- your first question about like feeling this state of anxiety you know it's like the chicken and the egg did your breathing cause you to feel that way did your environment cause you to breathe that way um i think it doesn't really matter what was the cause but the the good news is is that you can consciously control your breathing and when you control your breathing it sort of resets your nervous system and so like the only tweak i would say on what you said is like it's not necessarily deep breathing because some people interpret deep breathing as taking big breaths and big breaths may actually excite the nervous system it's deep breath, so it's slow, but deep into the diaphragm, like lower into the bottom of the lungs. So breathing into your belly, because that's where a lot of the blood um, is and a lot of the capillaries are to make the oxygen exchange. But also like slowing the breathing down, allowing the carbon dioxide levels to rise up in your in your blood, feeling comfortable with building up a CO2 tolerance. We teach all of this stuff on our website, elementalrhythm.com. We have like a seven-day free trial. If anyone wants to check it out, it's 100% free. Mm-hmm. Um, to try um, there's no obligations to stay um, but like one of my missions is to like educate people on how to use their breath to either change their state to like a more calm relaxed state or use it for like an emotional release like some of the deeper dives that we do because um, yeah. there's a lot there and I've actually you know like been to like ayahuasca retreats and like in between ceremonies like we do these breath works and many people 
I've said, like, hey, that breathwork session was just as powerful, if not more powerful, than my psychedelic experiences. Uh, because it's so visceral. Like you're right there, you've done it yourself, you're able to feel these emotions where you're not sort of getting tossed around by the psychedelic sometimes can be sort of confusing or scary. Um, and so I think they work really well together. If you're not ready for psychedelics, like the breath work, like there's a lot there. And I think well, what's important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so grateful for learning breath work because in a psychedelic experience, the breath work actually kicks up the effects of any chemical. Like it's by the, like the psychonauts out there, yeah. So if you're if you're yeah. a true psychonaut, you're gonna like stack those two, and yes. yeah, and like it, it and just it, like it, it can, up. You can take a quarter of the amount and still reach the same place through breath through breath work than taking four hits and no breath work. You know what I mean? You could take one hit of LSD and do breath work and not and and get to the same place. Four hits would get you with no breath work, and right. that's for me is is amazing because at will I can go up or down in the experience and you can you can tell matt's a psychonaut because he starts at one and goes to four hits rather than like you know <laughs> doing, a, doing a microdose and feeling like you're you're right there um, but i love that about you um and, and and it works both ways because in a psychedelic experience if things are really challenging you can slow your breathing down and relax and sometimes yeah. it'll help you to process a challenging trip you know right. um when you slow your breathing down the mind slows down the heart rate slows down you allow yourself to right. relax and i think right. like a lot of times when you have those difficult trips, your mind is overactive and the body is trying to sort of release that. Specifically in ayahuasca, when you purge, it's like to clear your mind so you can receive sort of learning. You can receive a download. And if your mind is too all over the place, it's gonna you're just gonna tense up and it's gonna feel all you're gonna feel nauseous and going crazy. But you can also relax your body through breathing. It doesn't have to be through purging or throwing up. You know, sometimes you feel that on, on even psilocybin, you feel this nausea. You know, what, what happens when you're feeling nauseous? You're clenching up, you're 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 fidgety, you know, you right. feel very nervous and anxious. You can use the same thing. Slow your breathing down. Slow the exhale down. Breathe in through your nose and just try to relax. 100%. Um, so, yeah, so there's a lot in the breathing. You know, we can, I can talk about breathing forever. But um, mm. the key is just when you breathe during the day is just through the nose, slow breathing deep into the diaphragm and just try to relax. You know, you'd be more present, you'd be less reactive, you'll deal with stress way better when things come along um, right. and use the deeper breathing exercises for more of like a journey to get clarity, to find insight, right. to work on your shit, uh, to yeah. release emotions. Yeah. Yeah. When you get like a pulse of anxiety and you get that kind of heart clench, you know what I mean? Where it's kind of like, Ooh, something that just happened that I don't like. And you get that heart clench you know, part of you can be worried that, oh, I'm going to feel like this for a while. But for me, you know, sometimes I found myself at like a, a red light uh, driving and I'll get a heart clench because maybe a text comes through that's not a, a great text or something like that. And I'll just sit there and I'll observe that that moment I'm having and then I'll do 20 breaths just. <sighs> and before the red light turns green, it's gone. Literally, mm -hmm. I'm not feeling that way anymore. I'm like, ah, well. It is what it is. Let's keep going. You know what I mean? Instead of like, oh, no, you know, mm -hmm. and then you sit in that for two or three hours or a day, you know, um, it's just so powerful at moving your emotions to a more clear space. Yeah, absolutely. And just be aware of your breath, like check in. How am I breathing? Am I breathing shallow very quickly? Am I breathing slow and relaxed? And just by reminding yourself, hey, just slow down, breathe a little bit deeper. Uh, you can train yourself to breathe like that all the time. And if you're always in fight or flight, you've trained yourself to breathe shallow and like up in your chest it's just like becomes automatic when you do something all the time 
and 100%. you can retrain yourself to breathe more efficiently and effectively. 1000%. Beautiful. So I know you've had extensive experience with ayahuasca and psilocybin and these types of things, but I am curious um, because there's quite kind of a debate between the plant medicine practitioners and the psychedelic practitioners between natural and unnatural, meaning some are chemicals like LSD, like ketamine, like MDMA, and some are naturally derived from plants and plants only. I'm curious your perspective on these, the, you know, like the, like the argument, the debate, you know, are they both effective? Are they is one better than the other? You know, for me, I definitely was like, I'm a plant guy for a long time, but it was kind of because I hadn't tried the non-plant ones, you know, <laughs> other than LSD. So when I did have an MDMA experience, which I actually had a lot of resistance around, I realized how powerful this molecule is. And it, and it almost, it taught me in a completely different way than like psilocybin, but it was equally as valuable to me. Um, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on these like these like ketamine and MDMA and in, re in relation to healing? Yeah. So to answer your first question, are they both effective? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the debate is around like trying to legalize and like dose and all these things. But you know, let's take some some of them that are not easily comparable to others. Like you take MDMA. Like in the plant world, what do you find like MDMA? So people say San Pedro is similar. I'd say you can say there's some similarities, but I say there's a lot of differences, you know? Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, like now there's some new research chemicals like 3MMC that are coming on the scene that create a whole different experience that I've never experienced in any psychedelics. Um, and I think, you know, my heart is also on the plant side. I think these evolved over thousands of years. I think there's a lot of alkaloids that, you know, outside of the experience that are also working on things that we don't know. And I don't think like I trying to isolate one substance to like, Hey, let's get rid of the nausea and let's just get rid of this. So we can just, just get this. Like I'm not a fan of that um, mm -hmm. personally, um, but I think they all play their role. I think they resonate with people differently. And I think that, you know, MDMA opens the door to a lot of therapy that might not be accessible to people. I think, you know, as, you know, we evolve, you know, scientifically, there'll be a lot more very specific psychedelics that can be created uh, for different types of people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like 5-MeO and, and the synthetic versus the actual Bufo. You know, I've seen right. a lot of debates where like the experience is almost, you know, um, you can't differentiate between the two. Like if someone would give you like a blind placebo and you did both, I've heard people say there's no way you would know which one is which. Right. Other people say like, hey, you feel the spirit of the toad when you do the toad. And, right. you know, I'm sure you can do a double blind placebo and see if people could know which was which with those. Mm -hmm. um, but like ultimately, like I think they all have a place in, in healing. Um, it really goes beyond the actual substance though. It's, it's the person. It's the person who's holding space. It's the integration program after, like how you're integrating, the support around you, the community you're part of, your environment as a person. And I think like ultimately like psychedelics are just a tool, just like mm -hmm. breathwork is a tool, just like ice baths are a tool, just like um, chanting is a tool and people got to find the tools that resonate with them. You know, maybe it's just like one psychedelic journey to have a breakthrough and then something totally different. And some people never go back. Some people just have one. That's all they need. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's an interesting question. It's really hard to like have a definite answer. Mm -hmm. um, but like, again, like my personal preference is always plant-based natural yeah. Um, you know, like Iboga, Ibogaine, you know, yeah. similar outcomes, but 
you know, there's like 12 alkaloids or 13 alkaloids, something like that in Iboga. And all those alkaloids are there for a reason. And a lot of natural plants have things in there that sort of will mitigate side effects or long-term effects um, that we just right. were looking for this quick fix or way to profit or patent or own or make ours as part of nature. So from that perspective, I don't like it. Um, when, when all this science that's going on, I know it's helping to push the industry forward. Cause I have a lot of friends now in the industry, you know, for making that documentary that, you know, I just want to put out there. People like reach out to me and ask my opinion, which right. I don't know what it's worth, but um, you know, I sort of see what's going on and I sort of like try to say like, Hey, like this should be about inclusivity, making it available for as many people as possible. not trying to like own something that, you know, only people with money can have or to make more money. And it's interesting right. when things become capitalized, you know, like yeah. what, what happens. Well, it seems that MDMA is going to be the first, like, truly legal medicine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know ketamine is as well, but uh, and ketamine has a very interesting way of of helping people. But uh, MDMA seems to be the one that's going to be first, like FDA approved to do psychedelic psychotherapy. Um, you know, in a, in a big way that that's really going to help the masses. Um, have you had an MDMA experience? I've had many MDMA, MDMA experiences. My, my <clears throat> favorite is like LSD MDMA combined. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's like quite an interesting experience where you can really drop into the LSD. Mm -hmm. So a lot of like the anxiety sometimes you get with LSD sort of just drops out and you just feel really open. Mm -hmm. um, but just that ability, like a lot of people that can't tap into their heart or their emotions, the MDMA really opens it up for them, allows them to process things that are there. So I think it's a it's an incredible tool very yeah. fast acting, very direct, you know, where you may not get that in like a psilocybin and, and something like a psilocybin experience. Like I probably wouldn't want someone trying to guide me through that, you know, like you would with like a psychotherapist with MDMA, you know what sure. I mean? Like, yeah, there's almost an internal guiding system with psilocybin, whereas MDMA is like, it's open and it's up to you to guide and or the, the guide to guide. Right. Like there's not this like voice in the background where sometimes you get on the mushrooms or an ayahuasca that's sort of like, hey, look over here. Or like, have you right. thought about this before? Or like you've become an asshole to your kids. Like whatever. Like, sure. You know, um, so I think this is like an ongoing debate, um, but I'm open to all. I think everything happens for a reason. You know, I think you know, the ability to sort of spread LSD in the 60s, it would have been possible if it was maybe it was a plant. It was very simple, cheap, easy right. to make and open many people's minds. You know, was it also used sort of irresponsibly in places? Yes, of course it was. But everything right. is. Cheeseburgers are <laughs> overused <laughs> in some places irresponsibly, right? right? Um, so, yeah, I'm excited that there's a lot more attention and awareness going here. I think ultimately... Um, as an industry, it's going to evolve, which will make it accessible to many other people who probably really need it right now. And yeah. I think it's probably the best, has the most potential of healing um, emotional disorders like anxiety, depression, than there's anything out there in the market. Because it's not blocking the emotions. It's allowing right. to process. And I think that's where true healing comes in. 1,000%. And lastly, um, have you experienced ketamine? Yes, I've experienced ketamine a few times in low doses and high doses is a totally different experience. Totally I'm very, different. very curious about trying an intramuscular. I've had a few opportunities yeah. um, to do so. But like for me, it's not just about like having the experience, although I do consider myself like a psychonaut, like I'll do like super deep journeys with like, you know, yeah. like high, high dose of psilocybin. I mm -hmm. also have to feel like it's the right time for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've had some experience where I've gone really deep on ketamine before. Um, also some light doses where you feel just that euphoria or like more like, um, 
just positive, feeling good. Yeah. Um, but I've read like the ketamine papers and like some of the experiences I've read about in there are like, wow, like this is really interesting, you know, yeah. to explore. And I think like we stumble upon these as a humanity because there are sort of healing properties in there. Like it's not just by chance, like, Hey, like there's things to be explored here. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefits to it. I think right now there's like this weird thing going on where it's got like race to the bottom for like therapy. It's like, who can do the cheapest treatment and just get it out mm-hmm. to as many people as possible. Um, I know, I know people who use it more than they probably should like as a party drug too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just feel like all of these things should be used with intention. Right. You know, thousand um, percent, and in the right ways, the right settings. Um, well, I had an interesting experience with a higher dose ketamine journey. It was a ceremony with guides. Um, so it wasn't just like, you know, um, out of the blue at a, at a club or anything, but, mm-hmm. um, where I don't know. I, I got fully in touch with the Thanka paintings of Tibetan Buddhism and how they show the the inner systems, the meridians, mm-hmm. the chakras, all of the energetic channels going on in the body. And I, you know, it was a profound experience in, in that I said, I know ketamine is new to humanity, but there must be something that does the exact same thing. It hits the same receptors or it opens up the same channels because this is what they were tapping into. It felt like obvious to me. I literally felt like I was in a cave as a yogi who had meditated for 60 days and taken a special plant and I was getting that experience that they got. Well, some of the things they know 5,000 years ago, like either we lost technology because we had it and it was passed down we lost it or they had other ways of accessing the information because mm-hmm. we're only verifying some of the things that yogis have been saying for thousands of years now with science where there's no really way to verify before so i agree with that like a million percent and um an interesting thing that's sort of happening underground where i am now is like combining ketamine with like deep tissue body work or like thai yoga where you do a big dose and just start really working into the body. And apparently there's some really interesting experiences that come from that. It was so body, you know, like my, I was so much aware of my body and the subtleties going on and the electricity flowing through me in my brain. I could, I could hear it. I could literally hear the electricity in my brain. I heard like zapping, like and and I knew where it was coming from. I was like, Oh my God, I'm hearing my electrical signals in my brain. Like, holy crap, this is amazing. And I, I felt like as breath was coming up and, and down into the body, I could feel the shashumna, which is like that central channel. I could very much get a sense of the ida and the pingala, the left and right channels of my body because I would tilt my head this way and I would get this whole experience. And then I'd tilt my head this way and I'd get this whole experience. And just like these little movements, left or right, hand mudras, made a world of difference do, do you know even the like dose? breathing through one side of the no- nose to the other i was like oh this wow. is completely different, different yeah. like from this side to this side whoa how different wow. you know and in a sober state you don't feel the difference no. you can play place all the mudras and you're like oh th- i don't feel anything you know but in this state i was in i was fully in touch with the mudras with the breath channels with the meridians with the chakras it was amazing. Well, do you know the approximate dose that, that it was? A hundred milligrams. Hundred milligrams. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to know store. if someone if someone's listening and they know what plants do this exact thing, whatever <laughs> it's a what what do they call it? A uh, there's a it's a certain agonist of something. Uh, 
what was a uh, glutamate or something glutamate agonist i want to know what plants you're gonna you're gonna get packages sent to your head office there <laughs> take this Cause, <laughs> dude because that was the freaking soma dude or something because i know that mushrooms might be soma but i also feel like whatever the glutamate action is uh is probably what yogis were using or tapping into it, it, ketamine is interesting and if you read some of the experiences that people have had where like their consciousness moves or two people like merge consciousness and are thinking the same experience the same thing yeah it's like something that i've been curious to explore deeper again but it, it's it's um it, yeah it's just, i could just leave it as a curiosity right now like when the time is right totally. if it's for me i'll dive in uh, oh, intramuscular right. here is really intense in, in that right. that state. The thing so. about that one that doesn't call to me, I would be down. I would be down. Don't get me wrong. But is you, you're like in a bed and you're not going to move. I actually liked the like yogic postures I was getting into and the, the ability to stand up and walk away and not be tied to some, you know, IV yeah. type thing. Um, so that, that just comes to me. But I, I swear there must be a plant that activates the exact same part of your mind because I was even in touch with the things called the cities, you know, how you can mm-hmm. become as small as an atom or as large as the universe. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. You know what I mean? So Maybe, and, maybe the answer is another 100 milligrams and asking that question as you go in. It's like, <laughs> hey, where do I find this plant? <laughs> right. What's funny is so much of the information is so hard to bring back. That's why you have to uh-huh. write. You have mm-hmm. to write because it slips away so fast. It's literally like a wet fish. Um but uh, that's part of it, you know, that's part of like the, the sacredness of it is like this information is only accessible in heightened states of consciousness. So there's a lot there, man. Interesting. But amazing chat today, dude. Thank you so much for uh, your time. Always a pleasure to hang, to chat, to share ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, Where can yeah. people learn more about you? I mean, they can yeah. find the film Psyched Out on timewheel.net. Yeah, on I created a few websites, GiovanniBartolomeo.com. This is a personal one with some of the stuff I'm up to. Um, mm-hmm. ElementalRhythm.com is all the breathwork stuff. And then on YouTube, I think it's Elemental Awakening mm-hmm. or Elemental Rhythm now. Just if you Google Elemental Rhythm, you'll find me. And on Instagram, Elemental Geo. I'm usually active on there. Um, yeah, check check that out. Reach out to me. I'm really accessible. If you send me a message, I'll definitely get back to you. If you have any questions or want to connect for any reason, um, that's what I love doing the most. So, yeah, Amazing. thank you. And thank you again for all that you're doing, all the stuff that you put out there, all the connections you make. And, um, yeah, Absolutely. doing your part to make the world a better place, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. It's an honor. Thanks again for being here today.